episode of Beyond Queer Stories. Today our guest is Jesse. Jesse founded a group called the LGBTQ Guard, which is a volunteer-run buddy system to prevent hate crimes. The story of how this came about, as well as how Minneapolis Pride tied to co-op their platform, are interesting stories. Jesse also has a lot to say about being president of the Bisexual Queer Alliance Chicago and being a disabled bisexual badass. Yay. Welcome! Hey! Good <laughs> to have you. Thanks for slipping in the disabled bisexual badass piece. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Appreciate yeah. it. It's important. Mm-hmm. So to get us started, um, can you tell us a little bit about what identities you feel most influence your experiences? Ooh, I like that question. Ooh, there's a lot. I mean, being bi, that's a huge one. Being disabled, I'm like very like disability radical type of person (laughs) it's very much me Mm -hmm. i used to like run groups on it and stuff so like that's very much me but otherwise um growing up working class is like a really big thing um so that's like a really big part of my identity because it's just kind of shaped so much of my world view Mm -hmm. being a chicago italian that's really big i'm from the suburbs originally but my whole family is from the city and i'm actually like fifth generation chicagoan um my generation was the first to not actually grow up in the city but now all of us have returned here which i think says something um the city just draws my family in (laughs) apparently but yeah otherwise i guess in terms of other identities just like on a smaller level um i'm a beatboxer Nice. Oh, cool. So, Are we going to get a sample of that today? Sure. I don't know how it's going to sound <laughs> in the mic, but we can try. That's maybe how we'll close it out. That'd be great. Yeah. Whatever outro song, just have it be box. Right. <laughs> You'll just have to choose a song. So just give me oh, a song. Okay. And so as long as I know it, I mean, I can do it. And like something with a good beat, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, in terms of identities, I can't really think of anything. Yeah. Else, I mean, being white, obviously, but that's just meh. <laughs> 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 you just look and see that. So, um, but yeah, I think that's it. Awesome. Okay. Cool. All right. So, I would love to hear um, a little bit about the disabled badass piece and like how you identify within that identity as well. Yeah, I've got lots of medical conditions. <laughs> I, I should I probably should like start with a list and then like slightly explain because that's sure. probably gonna be like the easiest way. Mm-hmm. Um, but so when I was two, I was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder and was really kind of I was kind of one of like sensory processing disorder. It was actually called sensory integration dysfunction at the mm-hmm. time, um, but it was kind of a newer type of diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really important diagnosis because a lot of individuals with autism have sensory processing disorder, but a lot of individuals with sensory processing disorder do not have autism. Yeah. Um, and they kind of mimic each other, mm-hmm. like, a lot. Um, so, like, when I was a kid, for example, like, when I was little, I did not want to be around people because I didn't want them to touch me. Mm-hmm. Because, so, I have, like, hypersensitive sensory processing disorder, which means that, like, like the best way that I always explain to people is like, imagine your senses be increased like times 10. Mm -hmm. 
Like, that's basically me. So like if I, for example, like if I were to like touch your fingertips right now, I could feel every single ridge on your fingertips. Mm. And I mean that. I actually, I once dated a girl also who had sensory body disorder. And it was really oh. funny because we would like touch each other's fingertips. And I was like, oh my God, I could feel every ridge. She's like, oh my God, me too. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of funny. But like, so from a very young age, when I was like two and diagnosed with sensory processing disorder, they wanted to institutionalize me. Um, so I didn't learn how to processing disorder. Yep. So, um, yeah. So this was back in 1996. Cause that was when I was two. I was born in 94. Woo. <laughs> um, and so I didn't learn how to speak until I was four. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just threw like temper tantrums and things yeah. all the time because even though I don't fully remember it, being in my body was exhausting. Um, And, you know, doctors didn't really know how to deal with me. They, like, wanted to put me on Ritalin when I was two. And my mother was like, hell no, is that happening? You are not putting my two-year-old on Ritalin. Like, no. Mm -hmm. And so she was actually really kind of, like, my biggest advocate when I was a kid to – because they wanted me – like, they literally – all my doctors are like, she will never be normally functioning. She will never do X, Y, and Z. Like – you should really just send her off. She will be much better. Yeah. Yeah, those things I still used, happen I'm in the I'm like having a lot of reactions because I've um, done therapy with kids with sensory processing disorder. So I'm wondering, yeah. like, did they just not understand it at all back then? Because that's so not how it works. It was a much newer diagnosis. Okay. And keep in mind, once again, it mimics a lot of autism. Right. You know, so like yeah. kind of what I was explaining with like the not wanting to be touched is like that looks like antisocial behavior. Right. But for me, but like it wasn't like motivated. Input is overwhelming. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So it was motivated by different things, but like, you know, they're very much yeah. like and that's why a lot of times like I identify with a lot of things that individuals with autism mm-hmm. can like speak to because like even though I don't have autism, like a lot of my life was mm-hmm. kind of essentially like having that experience because it mimics it Mm -hmm. so much um but yeah like even in in the early 90s they were like what do we do with this kid like and my mom was like my biggest advocate and so she got me enrolled in like I was in normal ed, regular ed, as they call it and special ed um till I was in third grade but my kindergarten teacher actually tried to kick me out of my kindergarten class because I was too like all over the place um and yeah so she tried to kick me out but luckily my mom was friends with the principal and so she was like yeah no like you're not (laughs) kicking out my daughter because they wanted to send me um so I had gone to um like a sped preschool program Mm -hmm. and they basically just wanted me to stay in that school Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life but my mom was like no like she's really smart like you know she deserves to be like with all the other kids like she is fully functioning like she just has like these other you know things to deal with but yeah no it was it was very misunderstood I mean Mm -hmm. I still come across stuff even today where people are like sensory processing order doesn't exist Mm -hmm. and it's like bullshit they've literally found scientifically the University of California San Francisco has found that there is extra what is it gray matter or white matter I forget what it is but for individuals with autism I believe it's extra gray matter in the front of their brains and then for individuals essentially processing disorder it's extra gray matter in like the back of their brains Mm -hmm. so they've literally found a scientific basis Mm -hmm. um and people still are like it doesn't exist I'm like okay cool but like I'm very much like I very much like don't have autism because of the fact that like I don't have in term like, for example, like, you know, a lot of folks with autism, you know, they um, 
have more like patterned ways of thinking, more like systematic ways of thinking, um, but also systematic ways of thinking that are also very much out of the box mm -hmm. that other people like don't see. Um, I don't have that. Mm -hmm. I don't think in um, kind of a more like, I don't really think in like a rigid pattern way, um, you know, and once again, like when I was a kid, like my more air quotes, antisocial patterns, which I think that's bullshit. And that's a whole nother conversation we could have. Um, like those were not motivated by like me not wanting to talk to people and me not understanding people. Um, it was really just like too much sensory input. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I actually, from a very young age, have always been very, very good at like reading emotional cues, mm -hmm. uh, which is something that I know lots of individuals with autism um, can struggle with, um, you know, to varying degrees, of course. Um, but yeah, and that's kind of how they're very different. But um, okay, back to the list of disabilities. <laughs> I always get ahead of myself. So sensory processor, which I've had my whole life, um, vaginismus. Um, I have chronic dry eye, which like sounds like a dumb problem, but it's actually much more of a problem than you'd think because my eyes just hurt and are tired all the time. Um, so I have to take care of my eyes a lot. Um, I have hypermobility, which affects my sternum a lot. So a lot of times it'll feel like my chest is like ripping apart, um, which is fun. Um, I'm going to physical therapy right now for vaginismus and for my sternum. All of the things. What else do I have? I have a lot. Oh, I have hemophilia. Mm -hmm. um, hmm, there's more. What else do I have? It's a lot when you forget <laughs> the list. <laughs> I have like, a question that kind of ties list. that in yeah. um, that I'm kind of curious about. Is the vaginismus in any mm -hmm. way tied into the sensory processing disorder? It is so funny you said that because my physical therapist thinks it can be. Because it we were just sense, right? Like, yeah, we were just talking about that the other day. So I think that for me, my vaginismus is very much like a mixture of like trauma okay. and sensory processing disorder and the hypermobility. Okay. Um, because um, like my therapist the other day, she was saying, um, she was like, you know, like your sensory processor might be a really big reason you have vaginismus because like you just, you don't want to be poked. <laughs> it was, we had a really funny conversation. About, <laughs> like, you, you don't want to be poked. And yeah. I was like, because I was telling her like ways that I like physical touch because like, I really love physical touch. Mm -hmm. um, but like if someone were to poke my arm, mm -hmm. like I will honestly probably snap at them. Like don't fucking do that. Mm -hmm. Like just, just don't. Like mm -hmm. it drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but like, if you were to like put like your hands on like my arm, like if you just did it for a second, that would also drive me nuts. Like you have to leave it there. Mm. Otherwise my body just like doesn't know what to do. It reminds me of like um, dogs that are just like, pet me and then you move your hand and then it like puts its hand back on it. It's like, keep doing that. Don't stop. I love that. That's, yes. Like a that loving is, animal That is forever. who I am. I'm actually, you know what's funny? A lot of people are like, Jesse, you're kind of like a puppy. Yeah. Um, so this is very accurate. I just have a lot of energy all the time. And like literally everyone in my life, they're like, Jesse, like even when you're at like your low, like your energy is still higher than like most people. I'm like, cool. Thanks. Um, but yeah, no, so it was funny because like my physical therapist was like, yeah, like I think that could be really a really big reason. And then also with like the hypermobility piece, mm -hmm. like all of my joints, all of them, not just my sternum, like they all 
extend in ways that they shouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I can't run outside because my knees are so bad. Um, like, if I ran on, like, a sidewalk, like, ooh, that's <laughs> not a good idea. So they, like, hyperextend? Is that what that means? What is yep, hypermobility? so hypermobility, I mean, it's basically double-jointedness. Yeah. But okay. throughout but your everywhere. entire body. Okay. And what a lot of people don't know is that um, the sternum acts as, like, a joint for, like, your ribs. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it affects my sternum mm-hmm. as much as it does. And it affects my sternum the most. Honestly, like the rest of my body is nowhere near as effective as my sternum. Um, but my physical therapist also said that it could be very much related to that as well because like my like pelvic floor and like my pelvic bones could be doing overtime because my joints extend in ways that they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's a mixture yeah. of things. And like a very common like thing that people don't know is that like vaginismus can be caused by like severe trauma, like mm-hmm. um, trigger warning, like sexual abuse and things like that. Mm-hmm. But also not. Right. Um, like it can it can also be caused by like so many other things. And that's why like anything you read on vaginismus, you don't know the exact mm-hmm. like reason. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to like pinpoint. I also didn't know you could do physical therapy for that. For vaginismus? Yeah. I didn't know either until I started going through physical therapy <laughs> for vaginismus. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a lot of dilators. Yeah. Um, I've been bad the past few weeks. Because um, you're supposed to do, like, the dilator, like, once a night. And for people who don't know what dilators are, it's basically inserting, like, a plastic dildo inside your vagina every day for 10 minutes. And you also have to wiggle it around to kind of – because it's muscles, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to wiggle it around to kind of, like, you're working the muscles mm-hmm. and teaching them to relax and expand. So that's a lot of, like, what dilator work is and, like – you start off with like a really tiny one that's like your pinky. Mm-hmm. And now like I'm at one that's kind of like, I would say like this thick. I don't know how thick that is. How thick to say that. Yeah. A quarter? Nickel? A dollar size? It's, dollar, it's like dollar a size. half dollar there, there. like yeah. thickness. Because like another misconception is like with vaginismus, it's not actually about length. Mm-hmm. It's actually about width. Mm-hmm. And your muscles expanding to the width of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of dilator training, but it's also a lot of like, um, like strengthening your hips. So like, even when I'm at the gym, like I will, um, I will sidestep sideways for a bit to, um, help strengthen my hips. It's a lot more, there's, there was a lot more of an exercise component than I realized. I really thought it was just going to be dilator training. Um, but no, it is a lot of things, but it's actually honestly also kind of cool in a way because like my body is getting stronger in ways that like I never imagined it to cool. get stronger. Um, who knew that I had like weak hips because like who the hell thinks about having weak hips? Uh-huh. Um, but like even like having weak hips can be like a cause of vaginismus. So it's wow. kind of a wild diagnosis really. But it's so like under diagnosed too, because like mm-hmm. I wish that my doctors had realized this years ago mm-hmm. because they should have, because I went through so many excruciatingly painful exams, like yeah. internal exams. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, like I found out about vaginismus and I talked to my doctor about it and they were like, oh, maybe that is what you have. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, why was this never yeah. thought of? And like, I had to go through three doctors to get to that point. So like, what does that say? Yeah. You know? I guess that makes me think, like, for our listeners who have no clue what that is, could mm-hmm. you tell them what, what vaginismus is? Yes. So vaginismus is basically so for people with vaginas, vaginas, vagina. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so um, there are different ways to experience vaginismus. Um, the easiest, one of the easier ways to explain it is that um, physical insertion is not a thing. <laughs> 
So like you can't really insert anything up there. And if you do, like it's excruciating painful or it's just like you're hitting a wall. Um, I remember the first time I read an article and it described it as hitting a wall. And I was like, oh my God, that's my vagina. Um, (laughs) There it is in this article. Um, But like something that I didn't know until I started doing the physical therapy is that for a lot of people, it's actually also external. So for a lot of people, like you can't even like touch their labia without them experiencing pain. But that's the thing is like a lot of vaginismus, a lot of it is like physical reasons, but a lot of it is also like mental things to work on, right? Um, And that's why they say a lot of times that like it's a mixture of like trauma and other factors. Um, And I'm lucky enough that for me, it's really only an internal issue. Like I feel, honestly, I feel so bad for individuals that also have to work through like the external, like, because like I'm wearing really short shorts right now, audience, you don't know this, but I'm wearing very short shorts right now. And like individuals with vaginismus, like some of them that have more of that, those external issues, Mm -hmm. they might even have issue wearing these short shorts because they literally might rub up the Mm -hmm. wrong way. And that might be a really painful experience. Yeah. It's an interesting phenomenon, honestly. And I feel like you don't hear about it a lot. Like most people have never heard of it. And and I'm curious, you might know this, like, do you know what the percentages of people who do have that? Yeah, so they've never really had a good because like I've read a lot of articles on it at this point. It's probably underreported, right? Exactly. So there's not really bless you. Thank you. There's not really a good. Um, what I've read is like, I think it was okay. It was either like point five or point zero five percent of the population. Mm-hmm. I think of the population with vaginas. To right. be fair. It was something like that. I don't fully remember, but um, I think it's actually much more common than people realize. Um, It's just like no one knows about it and no one talks about it. You know, because like a lot of individuals, like luckily, like I'm, you know, like I am AFAB, but like I am not heterosexual. Mm -hmm. And thank fucking God, because I can only imagine like if I was like a cis woman, like and I had vaginismus, like and I was, you know, with a cis man, I mean, that would Mm -hmm. suck, Mm -hmm. you know, like that would really, really suck. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, it sucks now. And like, and I like, I am not heterosexual. I just like saying the word. It's funny. (laughs) Um, It's just like when people say like homosexual, it's like, ha. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like I can't even imagine like the things that they go through because, you know, like people think that heterosexual sex is just like, you know, vaginal, like, what is the word? Um, like penetration. Pe- thank you. Like mm-hmm. penetrative sex by like a penis. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, luckily us queers, we, we, we have a creative. much, exactly. <laughs> we're creative. We have a much broader definition of sex, mm-hmm. which I am so thankful for. Cause I love sex. It's great. Um, <laughs> and you know, like, I'm very thankful to be queer with Mm -hmm. vaginismus, but it's also been really interesting because like I am bi, Mm -hmm. um, but I've never been able to be with someone who has a penis like for that reason. Mm -hmm. And that is something that like maybe in the future I would like to do, but like literally physically right now is just not even possible. Um, So it's Mm -hmm. kind of, it's interesting like as someone who's bi, because like there's been some, you can find some articles on people who are like lesbians vaginismus and like should I really care that I have vaginismus and things? But like, no, you totally should. But then like for someone who is bi, who, you know, is attracted to people of all genders with all genitalia, it's like, hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And in one sense, I'm lucky because like I do have that broader spectrum, unlike 
like a cis heterosexual woman. But at the same time, it's still very, it can be very hard Mm -hmm. for sure. And is definitely why I have not really dated many cis men. And that actually brought us to the time that it's like ready to tell the story that you have, like that you want to tell for today. Yeah, I guess. So um, I can talk a little bit about the guard and then I can talk about like more disabled stuff too. But so I lived in Minneapolis for the last six years. I've only been back here for a year. But like I said, I'm from the suburbs, northwest suburbs originally. Um, But so I founded the LGBTQ Guard. Um, I would started looking into it actually before Trump had gotten elected um, because I just felt that it was needed. And I was like the only one out of all my friends that was like, Trump's going to win. And people are like, what? Mm. No, you're crazy. And I was like, I know my family. (laughs) and I know that my family represents a lot of America like you know um and like a lot of people are like no like you're stupid Hillary Hillary's gonna win and I was like yeah no like you're stupid for thinking she's going to win but anywho that's that's an aside but so I had started looking into founding a group like the LGBTQ guard um before the elections and then I'd started kind of um going to different organizations and presenting my idea because I'm a big believer in like, if someone's already doing the good work, why create the same thing? Why not just work together? And I had gone to a couple spaces and just like no one was willing to hear me out. And my idea was kind of dismissed like completely. And I was like, I think that safety is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, So finally one day I was, um, I was at my friend's house and um, their roommate um, was in the other room and um, her name's Jem. She'll be fine with me talking about this. But I had like met Jem for the first time and I was like, yeah, I was like, I was just really disheartened because I'd just come from a meeting where they were like, yeah, no. And I was just like completely ignored. And I was just like, I'm so mad. Like, this is so important. Like, why does no one care? And Jem's background is in like computery stuff and so Jem's like oh okay like that's a great idea so um I'll create a website um in the next week and we'll just get going and I was like wait what (laughs) because like I just met her Mm -hmm. and I was like oh wait I was like are you like for real right now she's like yeah I was like okay let's do this shit um so we did so we found the LGBTQ guard, um, started recruiting people. And so we kind of, so we had a website and we had a phone number that people could text into. So basically, um, and also like they could also like fill out an online form. So basically like they could request a guard ahead of time. So let's say there was this one spot, like a grocery store or something, they were constantly getting harassed. They could call us and we would escort them beforehand. Um, yep. And we did things like self-defense trainings, um, we were like guards at events and stuff. Honestly, though, I ended up dissolving the group because there just wasn't enough demand. And I told people from the beginning, I was like, I would rather not have this group exist if it doesn't need to. Because, you know, I think that especially as someone who spent a lot of time in nonprofits, my we should be working ourselves out of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, like I am a social worker with homeless families and I don't want to be working in homelessness forever because mm-hmm. ideally homelessness is not something that should exist forever. Um but anywho, back to the badassery. Um, <laughs> so found the LGBTQ guard. And um, I'm sure you both remember there was like the equality march and stuff. And they were like going to do in D.C. and whatnot. And we thought that a lot of their platform was just bullshit because mm. it was just like a cis white gay guy. 
um, just doing the things. And I was like, this is dumb. Like, <laughs> stop leaving all the rest of us out of this shit. <laughs> so my group, and I purposely made it not a nonprofit because I didn't want to be limited in the types of things we could do. And if it was a nonprofit, we couldn't have started our own like radical march and things. I mean, there are other things that you can do with nonprofits, but it gets complicated if you're a C3 versus a C4 and mm. all of that good stuff. So me and a couple of people went to the city of St. Paul government and basically like filed to um, have a march and found out that Minneapolis Pride had already beat us to it. Oh, wow. Same date, same time, same exact location. That we were both looking mm-hmm. at. Coincidence? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was actually, that was actually a coincidence. But wow. then it was crazy because we started working with them because I was like, you know what? Like, they already have the space. They have money. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> like, you know, we were really pushing. So my background is working with homeless youth. And so I was really pushing for a lot of our platform to be around homeless youth. So we really wanted our platform to be like very like homeless youth, POC, and trans focused. And that's what we really, really pushed for. And so, you know, we kind of started meeting with the heads of Minneapolis Pride, pushing for those things. And then over time, our shit got (laughs) co-opted. And um, there's this group out front Minnesota that um, had like gotten involved and they, they were like paying the speakers and all of this stuff. And I found out later that, um, so I had come up with the entire platform, um, me and my friend Sally, we'd both come up with the entire platform and we came up with the list of speakers that we wanted. They took all of that and then we got not a single thing of credit, Wow. even though we created the entire thing. Like, and I remember the day of, I was so mad because there was this group, it was like a, um, like two spirit society. And they're like, oh, thank you so much out front for including us for the first time and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like seething because I was like, they didn't think to include you. That was us. Mm -hmm. Like none of you would be on this stage right now if it wasn't because we pushed so hard for this platform and for these speakers. Um, So that was like wild. And this went on. This was like a four month or two. I was just, oh God, that was such a mess. And then, oof, and then this was really interesting because this was not long before, was it? Yeah, no, this was not long before Pride. Yeah. And then um, one of the heads of Minneapolis Pride one night called me at like 9 p.m. And I was like, hi, like, what's uh, going on? And she's like, I really need your advice. And I was like, okay. In my head, I'm thinking, why is the head of Minneapolis Pride? reaching out to me for advice at 9 p.m. on like a Wednesday. Like, what is happening? And she's like, well, we're really debating on having cops at Pride this year. Um, But the reality is that we also need some sort of police presence because there's like a lot of like violence that sometimes happens and keeping like protesters away from like Pride attendees and stuff. And she's like, and I don't know what to do. Like, do we do we completely ban all of the cops? Do we not? Like, what what are we supposed to do? And so I was like, I think that you should just be really transparent and, you know, make a post and 
say that we won't allow like cops into like the parade there will be some at these stations um but otherwise just don't do it because like so many people were planning like protests and whatnot um to kind of well i mean that was basically like anti-cop Mm-hmm. Um, which makes sense because, you know, the LGBTQ community has quite a contentious relationships mm-hmm. with cops, especially non-white people, um, non-white folks. So, um, yeah. So, and it was crazy because then she had made this post, right? And it went really, really well. Okay. And people were like really happy. They were like, oh, wow. Like Minneapolis Pride is like taking a stand and they're doing something. And then two days later they completely backtracked and it just everything blew up i mean i wasn't even i ended up not even being able to really go to pride i ended up being like really 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 sick but it was just it completely backfired on them because they like basically retracted everything they had said in this prior post that i was like you should do this and um they had a couple protests there that lasted like three hours and that like shut down like so much of the parade but yeah it was just kind of crazy because like you know here I was you know the leader of this tiny but mighty Mm -hmm. group and suddenly I was kind of like in the forefront of like this march and pride and like all of these different things. And even though they like did me dirty in so many ways, you know, it was also quite the learning experience mm-hmm. for me, I would say. And I was still glad that like, even though they did co-opt our shit, the fact that we were able to successfully get like an inclusive platform out there was amazing. Yeah. But yeah, and then, oh, and then for disabled badassery, I'll just talk about that briefly since I talked about the LGBTQ guard (laughs) stuff for a while. So I went to uh, McAllister College in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota um, for my last two years of college. And I worked in the cafe and I was like student manager and stuff. And suddenly in like 2000, what year was this? Oh my God, I have to think. Oh no, this was 2016, right? Yeah, it was 2016. Okay. It was like beginning of 2016 because I was like graduating that semester. But they fired nine of my coworkers with disabilities without any advance notice, like all on the same day. And I was like the student manager. So I was kind of in charge of a lot of them. And I was like, what? Like, what the fuck? Where are all your employees? What is happening? (laughs) Um, And so me and a couple other people launched a campaign against my bosses. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, me and a couple friends, we uh, circled this petition. I had a bunch of my coworkers sign it um, and like 200 students. And then a group of us like delivered it to my boss. (laughs) And then like, my two bosses like sat down with me and they're like, Jesse, like, why are you doing this? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, because what you did was wrong. Like, and there's no other way to put it. Like mm-hmm. you don't just do that, you know? And their whole thing was like, Oh, well they were temp workers and blah, blah, blah. I did more digging and that wasn't true. Oh wow. They were saying they're temp workers. No, it was actually this organization called opportunity partners. And the, organization was basically an organization that helped individuals with various types of developmental disabilities get 
jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't a temp agency. And there's like a very big distinction there. Mm-hmm. And so like Cafe Mac had like released a statement to the student body because like I had um, posted a story in the school newspaper about what was happening first. And then they like posted a reply statement being like, they're temp workers and blah, blah, blah. So then I replied. Mm-hmm. to their reply and I was like actually no here's the link to the opportunity partners website which is very clearly not a temp agency and your whole so their whole reason was like oh we ended their contract because they came to became too expensive which was bullshit because if you did the math they were not more expensive literally in any means and mm, I'm sorry four months ago it wasn't too expensive but why is it too expensive all of a sudden mm-hmm. why why are we suddenly saying in January that mm-hmm. it's too expensive completely out of the blue but, you know, we kept trying to, like, get them to, like, hire people on. And I think they hired, like, two, three people tops back on out of the nine that were mm-hmm. fired. And then we stepped things up a notch. <laughs> and my boss, my one boss, he was, like, livid towards me. But, he like, because he couldn't, like, technically directly do anything, he just, like, would kind of, like, ignore me <laughs> whenever I worked. <laughs> and so... No one was really doing anything. So finally, um, they have these comic cards in the cafeteria. And so I stole like 200 of them and I had people fill them out. And then me and a couple of friends went back into the cafeteria and we covered the entire wall with comic cards about rehiring the opportunity workers. Um, and literally like, I wish I could like describe how big this wall is because it, it's smaller than this, but maybe like half the size of this wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like a little shorter, um, but we like, plastered the entire thing with these comic cards um and literally it was so satisfying because my boss just had to stand there Mm -hmm. and watch us post these like cards and it it took us like almost an hour to like get them all posted then we like took pictures (laughs) (laughs) um and even though that was unfortunately a failed campaign and we did not get the nine people rehired you know it was still good that we you know we, we tried we we did something and you know these last two stories i just told were in a sense like both failures but also like not at the same time mm. um and i think that you know the reason i'm more willing to tell these stories because these are the stories that i learned more from because like i've done other organizing things that were more successful mm. but these are the things that i probably learned the most from that was a lot of talking right there <laughs> yeah yeah that makes me think of a question of like envisioning you all putting up those cards and you said that your boss had to just like stand there was he standing there watching like literally he wasn't okay so like how do I describe like the layout of the cafeteria um because like the cafeteria is quite large yeah so he was kind of like off to the side like in a corner just like glaring at us so he did see it happening. Oh, though. he 100% saw nice. it happening. Um, nice. Yeah, we called him Turtle because he had, like, glasses and would always wear, like, these, like, um, what's the word? Turtleneck Turtle sweaters. And we all just hated him, so we <laughs> called him Turtle. Um, but, yeah, no, so he was just kind of, like, standing off in the corner, seething. But he wasn't, like, 10 feet behind us, like, staring or anything, mm-hmm. nothing like that. I imagine that felt kind of satisfying, though. Oh, it to did. To have him, like, actually 100%. see it happening. Yeah, it felt really good. 
because especially because like he had been like so cold towards me and like wouldn't like talk to me and like things which was fine because I didn't really want to talk to him either but like it does make it difficult to work in a place where like your boss won't talk to you um especially when like you're a manager Mm -hmm. um so that definitely made things difficult um but like I I loved that job and I loved my co-workers I I was the person in college there was this um lady who um, would check people in and I won't say her name just like for confidentiality reasons we'll we'll call her Diane um but Diane would check people in and out and literally so I hated most of the people I went to college with and so I would sit with her and eat lunch every day for, so like for two years, I like Aww. would sit with like my coworker and she's like, you have to understand, she's like a 75 year old woman. Um, and we would just, we'd have lunch. Like she'd be checking people in and she'd be like, oh, just like, can I, can I go take a bathroom break? And I'd be like, sure. So I'd like be eating lunch and, um, people would be like, what is happening? And she's like, no, go through lunch. Okay. Go through. Like, and I'm like eating like a sandwich out of my mouth. Um, but yeah, oh my gosh, I got so off topic. <laughs> and then I just went with it. Go for it. What, what did you say? <laughs> I said it, it must be satisfying to have had your boss like actually witness you all oh. putting the cards. Yes, on, right. And then I said I really love my coworkers. Right. Yes, but so you didn't hate your job. Your boss made it uncomfortable, but you loved your job. Yeah, I well, I did love my job, but I also like I hated dealing with the students. Mm-hmm. They're just like a bunch of just very privileged rich mm. white people mm. and just like ugh, like sometimes they would just be like they'd be so rude to me and I'm like I literally I'm I'm in your class like <laughs> in two hours I have to see your stank ass like <laughs> get off my back um yeah I remember this one time Ooh, these guys were trying to like so normally we had two exits but one day we had to make it just one I don't remember what the reason was and so my boss had made me stand in front of there to make sure no one went through there. And these two guys literally tried to walk through me. And I was like, hi. I was like, you can't go through here. And they're like, well, we want to speak to the manager. And I was like, well, I actually am the manager, so you can go around. Miss me with that bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, nah. So they were just like, ugh. So it was just like a lot of like entitledness like that. And honestly – I, something I think about sometimes is like I wonder if I would have hated the people I went to school with less had I not worked in the cafeteria. Mm. Like I think about that sometimes. Like had I had a different job, would I have liked my peers more? Mm. Probably. <laughs> I want to know more about um the Minneapolis Pride. Oh yeah. So after that conversation happened, like what did what happened with that? Like that whole entire like awkward. Like, the cop thing? Yeah, the cop thing. Okay. Basically, like, so they had put out a statement, and they were like, you know, like, we – basically, the statement was like, um, we know that a lot of our community members don't feel comfortable with police around, and so that's why we've decided to not allow them in the march. They're still going to have to be around in certain spaces for safety and also um, – but a lot of people don't realize, and I'm not necessarily on the sides of prides for this, but when you plan city events in public city spaces, um, they actually require you to have a police force mm-hmm. um, a lot of times. So in a lot of ways, like even though I definitely think the demands for having no cops at Pride is a very legitimate one, people also don't realize that like because of how 
city law is written mm. and because of like how events are planned like in various cities um you actually cannot host events in certain public spaces without a police presence if it reaches like if the type of attendance is going to reach like a certain threshold it's like actually a thing mm. um but yeah so they like released that statement and it like went over really really well and like people were super happy they're like oh my god like minneapolis pride is like taking our concerns seriously blah blah blah. and then a day later or like a day or two later they retracted everything they said <laughs> and then shit just like blew up what just, did they say like how did they retract it i'm curious they were like Oh, we, it was something like, oh, we decided upon like further thought to that it would be exclusive to not allow LGBT oh. cops to march in the parade. And so they will be allowed and blah, blah, blah. And then, but like everyone just like blew up at that point, mm-hmm. um, especially because they had just made this like really, really great statement. And then two days later, they completely retracted it. There was like a three hour protest that like shut it down. <laughs> Of um, the parade? Of the parade, yep. Um, during the parade, there was like a three-hour protest. I wasn't actually there for it, though, because I was really, really sick. I had like double pneumonia. It was oh, like, man. yeah, it was bad. I was really, really sick. Mm-hmm. So I completely missed all of that. But I heard about it. <laughs> and it was funny because like, it was really interesting at the time because like, I definitely come from a bit more of a radical perspective on things. Not that I would necessarily like call myself a radical. I just know that people would probably label my perspective as such and so like I knew what like pride was doing at the same time as like I knew exactly what the protesters would be doing um which is like an interesting spot to be in because like here I was like advising Minneapolis pride and then like also hearing about like oh my god like we're gonna do this and this and this to like get back at the people of pride and I was like you know what go for it I'm done with them I tried but yeah so that was an interesting spot to be in that summer do you still talk to the um, president or like the people who hosted Minneapolis Pride <laughs> do I still talk to them yeah do you still like have any kind of communication no with them? but we are Facebook friends so this might get awkward <laughs> but I mean I think that they also know how I feel and one of the heads was actually fired because of the um statement well she uh she wasn't fired she was um suddenly let go mm. That's but works, yeah, yeah let's let's yeah yeah so i was like yeah no hun you were fired mm. <laughs> like you weren't just mysteriously let go that's that's not what happened the, the board of pride fired your ass wow. like but you know at the same time like while i did have a lot of issues many of us pride the one particular individual who like was let go she was the person who had called for my advice, and I appreciated that at least she was always willing to listen mm-hmm. to my perspective. We're also almost at the time to wrap Well, we're about at the time, actually, to wrap up. <laughs> shameless plug time. Oh, shameless plug time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Cool. Um, I'm the president of BQAC, Bisexual Queer Alliance Chicago. BQAC? BQAC. And we have a saying, which is, be quick, got your back. <laughs> I invented it. Because <laughs> I'm cheesy. And puns um, are great. Um, but yeah, be quick, Bisexual Queer Alliance Chicago. Um, we were kind of like slightly inactive the last couple of years. But, you know, I took over the presidency in January. And so I'm really just kind of trying to 
completely rebrand and revamp the organization right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like things that we're doing is like, for example, recently, like we like expanded our board um, because we realized that hmm, not a single one of us was a Chicago native. I was the closest we had and I'm from the suburbs, y'all. Like that's (laughs) the problem. Um, So we expanded our board to be um, native Chicagoans, but also we wanted to be more representative of the fact that like most of us lived on the North side. Mm-hmm. And that is not representative of Chicago or Gotham, as I like to call it. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we got a couple of folks from like the West side and the South side, which mm-hmm. was great. And, you know, we're really trying to expand more into the South and West sides because mm-hmm. just historically they've been so ignored mm-hmm. in terms of like LGBTQ stuff in the city. Cause like, let's be real, like LGBTQ stuff in the city really just revolves around the cis white gay men in Boys Town. Um, and that's bullshit because that's not even the majority of the community. Mm -hmm. And so we're really just trying to reach the rest of the community that like, doesn't get those spaces, doesn't get those funding. Cause I mean, we're a tiny nonprofit and our board, like we don't get paid. We're volunteers. Um, I do not get paid y'all. I wish I did so (laughs) much for doing this work. Cause it's honestly sometimes like another like part-time slash full-time job. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're really just trying to grow and expand and we're open to people's input. We mm-hmm. had a really beautiful um, bi-queer poetry night and open mic this past cool. weekend. It didn't have as great of attendance as I would have liked only because of the snow. Um, but yeah, literally people were like, oh my God, they were like, are you going to like host this quarterly? Like, I would love to, like, mm-hmm. I would love to come. Like, when's the next one? I was like, oh, I was like, this is the first time I've ever done this. But like, if you guys want this more, like, we'll do it, you mm-hmm. know? Okay. So we're really open to things. And, you know, we've had people come up to us proposing like um, an asexual group. Um, a good guy friend of mine um, suggested like a trans, like a bi trans POC group mm-hmm. um, and things. So we're really open to what people want to do cool. um, as long as they talk to us and pitch things and as for events this month, um, we're starting a writing group. If you're interested, contact us. Our email's bquack, B-Q-A-C, Chicago at gmail.com. Don't put two C's, though. It's bqachicago.com at gmail.com. Um, and then follow us on Facebook, and you can follow our stuff there. And I'm also starting a walking group this month. We're going to walk somewhere. I'm figuring that out today, actually, <laughs> where we're going to walk. Um, so stay tuned for that. But otherwise, we have our monthly by discussion group here at the Center on Halstead. We have our monthly by movie night, and we're really trying to expand and do other things, too. So cool shameless plug over so check it out on facebook do you all have instagram or anything we just got an instagram all right so on both we have (laughs) facebook instagram twitter meetup all right oh and find the meetup group so that's a good way to keep up to date with oh yeah our meetup group is actually probably um our facebook and meetup groups are both like our biggest groups but we have like i don't know like three thousand followers we have we have quite a few followers but we want I want engagement. Like yeah. I'm very much a quality over quantity person. Mm-hmm. I want, I want people to come and engage with us and feel like that it's home and that it's mm-hmm. a space for them, not just that like, we care that you're here because we needed to get up to seventy people. Like that's no, yeah. that's not what I want. I want people to care mm-hmm. about this community. Cool. Well, we'll have everyone check you out. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Queer Stories. Also check out the creator of our podcast music, B. Studwell. She's an incredible queer artist from D.C., and you can check out her music at bstudwell.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes, don't forget to rate us so others will be able to find our podcast. Talk Talk to you all all next week. week.
next time on Beyond Queer Stories. My first meeting with him, he just, he was using the F word in our appointment and I curse. That's fine. I don't care that people do, but I just wasn't expecting that from a medical professional. Bye. Bye.